Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. Life's defining moments don't always feel that great when they're happening. In the moment, they can feel challenging, uncomfortable, difficult, impossible even. But with hindsight, they can take on a different shape. With the benefit of that 2020 perspective, we can begin to see how the most difficult times were a life lesson we didn't know we needed to learn. Each week, I ask my guests to share their biggest life learnings to date as we explore those difficult, swampy, infuriating times and how they shaped them, all from a comfortable distance that's afforded them the time to take the positive out of what might have seemed nothing but negative at the time. Because whether it's obstacles, challenges, risks, excuses, opportunities, successes, failures, or curveballs, they are the reason they are the person they are today, the person sitting in front of me on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I really don't like doing things that other people have done before. I was much younger. I was very intimidated by um, the big wigs in the rooms. Um, I, I do know that I have incredible perseverance. And I, I'm not good at taking no for an answer. <laughs> it showed me what happens when you apply yourself and you um, and you get up more times than the next and you show up more than somebody else opportunities come to you. I got to a point where I said, I am going to launch this brand even if I don't raise any money. I mean, I think mental strength is everything. I mean, I think that's like the name of the game. I think it's your superpower. I think it's the secret sauce. I think it's it's all of it. Did I share that outside of my head? <laughs> What's happening right now? <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. My guest today is Lainey Crowell, the CEO of Say Beauty, an omnichannel beauty brand with the objective to make beauty better. Lainey's career is a truly fascinating one, starting in film, working with a producer, reading a lot of scripts before moving into magazine journalism on titles including Lucky Magazine, Elle and Stylecaster. Plus there were, count them, the seven times she interviewed to be Anna Wintour's assistant. In 2011, she joined Estee Lauder Companies as their executive director of online global communications, a huge role covering content creation, social media strategy, and so much more. In 2019, she founded Say Beauty after the success of her clean beauty blog, The Moment, which proved there was a space and demand for a clean beauty brand on the market. And within months, the products were winning awards and achieving cult status like the Say Slip Tint Dewy Tinted Moisturizer SPF 35 Sunscreen. Lainey was born in Colorado and spent her childhood traveling around the world with her mother's work in foreign services. Her time spent in Paris as a child left an indelible impression on her, or perhaps it was the image of the sophisticated French woman that stuck with her and went on to fire her fascination with effortless beauty. Lainey currently works in New York and lives with her family in Brooklyn, although today we are speaking to her when she is in Sag Harbor. Careers like these, particularly ones where you disrupt and innovate an industry, are full of interesting tales and life lessons, and I cannot wait to hear Lainey's. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Thank so you. excited to speak to you because I do think there is a lot to be said for um, an industry, and many would say that the industry of the beauty one is it's an industry as old as time. You do things a certain way, but to come in and really disrupt and innovate and see opportunities, that doesn't come along every single day. Yeah, it's something that I'm very proud of. Um, we talk about it all the time. My, I always say to my team, I'm like, 
I really don't like doing things that other people have done before. Interesting. Okay. That's really interesting because I think that's a really good thing to come back to. So is that something that kind of, uh, do you remember the first time you thought that and then realized how well that served you to think that way? Well, I think it all really stems from being in beauty for so long and seeing brands launching what felt like another brand had already launched in terms of like formulation, product, product range. Like there's a lot of things that launch that feel like very like formulaic um, and being an avid beauty consumer. I mean, that's really the lens that look at which I look at everything through as I'm a consumer. Mm. And as a consumer, I want things that feel fresh and exciting and different and engaging and, um, and, and new. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing as well. I think that every single person I know who w- went into the beauty industry, me and magazine journalism, friends who work in PR, you're a consumer first. It doesn't matter what you do. And it takes a while to kind of test that product in the back of your hand and not think about your experience and kind of have that knee jerk to think about the consumers or think about the wider picture. But I do think it attracts these huge, huge fans who then kind of see behind the velvet rope and then maybe try to make some changes. The, you know, you mentioned in that beautiful intro, by the way, I felt like I was in a movie about my life. (laughs) Um, My time at Estee Lauder was so incredible. I mean, it was almost like, you know, I was getting my MBA at like a mini CEO boot camp. I mean, it was (laughs) It was so amazing to get to learn from such incredible um, industry veterans, best in class um, leaders. Um, it was amazing. And, and what was really cool about my position there was that um, I was building it. So in a lot of ways, it was my first time as an entrepreneur. Um, although I've always had that spirit in me, you know, we I launched the first recycling group at my elementary school I started like a dress line with my friend that I think we you know worked on for three months but I've always loved building things but it was really my time at Estee Lauder where um, I was tasked with building this department and so I um, was the one that was creating influencer marketing before influencer marketing had a word to it I was creating pitch decks proving the point that we should um, launch Instagram, you know, things that you really don't have to do at a startup, but are still the fundamental blocks of starting a business, Um, having to prove your point, having to do research, having to do things that no one's done before. Um, So, you know, that's, that, that part of your intro just made me think about like what an important part of my journey, my time at Estee Lauder was. I think as well, when I looked at the dates, I think it was 2011 and you guys quite, you quite rightly say you were doing things at a time before their second nature now doing influencer outreach, all of these things, they are just, they are actually not just important. They are integral to any brand success, but you were doing it at a time when it was pretty much untested. And so my thought was, okay, you're in a state order companies. It's a huge, huge company, extremely corporate. There are hierarchies like any big corporation. And you're in this new role that is probably to some extent, a bit of a gamble. And it made me think you must have incredible powers of persuasion to be able to say, Hey, in that big board meeting at that big boardroom table with all of the big wigs to be able to say, Hey, we need to put this budget here to do this because if we do, I believe, because there's no data to back anything up at this point, I believe it will elicit this result. So you must have incredible powers of persuasion. I, you know, I think we're going to have to call Jane Huddis and ask her that because <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was much younger. I was very intimidated by um, the big wigs in the rooms. Um, I, I do know that I have incredible perseverance. Um, I think I've gotten much better at, at the art of persuasion um, and sales and pitching. But um, and I think that 
really came more from fundraising, which we, we can talk about in a minute, but I, I am and always have been very good about um, the level of per- like perseverance that I have and not taking no for an answer and being up for the task of um, fighting all the powers that be. And, um, you know, if I need to pitch something a hundred times, I'll do it because I believe in what I'm pitching and I, and I want, and I, I'm not going to take a no for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like Cher Horowitz? Do you always turn a no into a yes? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, a no is a maybe. Ah. Um, that's that's kind of how I think about it. I like that. Okay, so let's uh, let's move to the beginning where I always start with my guests, which is to talk about risk, because I think that tells us so much about people. So before I speak about your biggest risk, I would just like you to maybe uh, talk to me about your relationship with risk. How do you view it in life? Mm, that's such a great question. I think we have to talk about my mom if we're going to talk about risk. My mom is an incredible risk taker and she instilled from me very early without necessarily even putting words to it, but showing me that number one, you can do anything. You know, if I went to my mom and I was like, okay, I want to write a book. She'd be like, okay, let's figure out the steps to write the book. Uh, If I said I wanted to I mean, really anything, it, it didn't matter. My mom was always on board to tackle that adventure or take that risk with me. Um, and she didn't even really call it a risk. I don't think that's how she sees it. Um, my mom, by the way, is currently sailing around the world on a sailboat um, in her 70s. Uh, the boat is very small and she doesn't have a crew. She meets people along the way. Um, my mom, my mom's amazing, but, um, I mean, from, I don't know, day one, that was just what it was like in my family. It was, there was never like a, Oh, do you think that's a good idea? Or, Oh, like, I don't, I don't know about that. Like that just wasn't the vibe in my house. So nothing was ever impossible. Nothing was ever impossible. Um, risks were a good thing. Um, and, and again, like my mom didn't position it as a risk. She just was like, okay, let's lay out the steps to get there. And that's that. And so how do you think that's shown up for you in your professional life? And that what might have seemed like, a, I'm trying to frame it, obviously you have a very different frame for risk-taking, but um, say going for a job or saying, hey, this really isn't working a lot of other people might be like, there's a really big risk. What if people hate you or what if people fire you? But it doesn't sound like maybe that would be how you would compute a situation that others might view as a risk. No, I don't. I never really think like that. Um, the, I, 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 I do think there are times where I jump in to the deep end um, because I don't think that way. And, um, and then six months later, I have a, oh shit moment of like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, this is really hard. Um, but that initial barrier to entry isn't there for me. Um, and I, I think more about like, what am I going to, what are the risks I'm going to regret not taking than Mm -hmm. the ones that I do? I mean, I, I have so many things I want to accomplish in my life. And um, I don't want to miss out on anything. I'm curious, because sometimes when a parent is uh, so specifically one way, uh, then when that person uh, becomes a parent, perhaps they, they swing the other way. And I wonder how whether you've actually tried to be the same influence to your daughters, as your mom was to you, or whether you've tried to instill some sort of sense of caution uh, you know my, my my girls are quite young they're five and two about to be six and three but um I think the thing I think more about is not trying to push my kids too much mm-hmm. um, my parents definitely pushed me um whether that was in sports or academically 
they had very high expectations for me. And I think that it's actually a little bit healthier to have a little bit more room to explore, to decide what you really want versus what is maybe optically more prestigious. You know, I can't help it. You know, we go to a Taylor, we went to the Taylor Swift concert, my um, five-year-old and I went and I can't help it. I came back and I was like, I think we should get guitar lessons. And like, you know, are you working on your singing? You know, I, I can't help it. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely have high expectations for myself. I'm very hard on myself. Um, going back to the idea of perseverance, you know, I, I study mental strength. I'm obsessed with the concept of mental strength because I think that that is actually everything. Um, the ability to get back up more than the next person, um, the ability to transition faster from, uh, I'm going to put it in quotes, failure. I don't believe in failure, but like, you know, a misstep. Um, those are the keys to success. And my, my, my parents required that we play a sport every season. Um, and I was not allowed to skip a practice. So that was, that was how I grew up. And, and, and also like, by the way, like I was not the best at anything. I was not the best swimmer. I was not the best water polo player. Um, I wasn't the best, um, you know, the smartest person in the room um, because of, you know, my work ethic. I think I ended up being in the upper 25%, but I, it wasn't like I was just born that way. Um I have told the story to my daughter about which I'll tell you guys right now about my water polo team that I was on because this experience and I think was exactly was really what got me through fundraising. Um so I was after I left Estee Lauder, I you know, I left with this really big idea of beauty being better and I had no idea how it was going to materialize. I had I was started, I was consulting for brands, that's how I was paying my bills. Um, which was incredible because I was consulting for a lot of startups. So I was learning a lot, but I definitely did not have the idea that I was going to start a brand. Um, I had an instinct to start my blog, which was a very strong instinct. Um, you know, my husband who probably is more risk adverse than me, he was like, should you really be doing that? Like you just started a consulting business. Like, why don't you just focus on one thing? I knew in my gut so strongly that I should start that blog. And I knew that that blog wasn't the end. The moment was not the end all be all. I, but I knew that it was really important. I didn't know why, but I knew it. Um, and when I, when my community showed me the opportunity for say, and asked me to create this brand, um, I needed to fundraise and I had never fundraised before. I didn't come from that world. I didn't know anyone that had done it. I was, I was starting from ground zero. And in the, I know this is a, probably a North America stat, but um, four, 4% 4 of VC dollars go to women. Raising money as a first time entrepreneur, as a woman in a category geared towards women uh, is really hard. And there were days where I didn't even think I had the energy to walk home from the subway because I was so defeated emotionally and physically from um, putting myself out there and creating the connections, having the meetings, pitching my idea, getting told no over and over and over again. But that, that strength, I really, and that really, I believe came from my training as um, when I was in high school and my parents had me, I joined a water polo club team and I got to practice on the first day of the summer because clubs like go in the summertime. And uh, I was the worst person on the team. Everyone was so much better than me. They had all been playing water polo since they were probably like, you know, 12. We'd moved back from Paris um, and I had never played water before before my life. I was always a strong swimmer, but um, I was brand new. And those girls were so mean to me. 
and I was so bad and I did not miss one practice. My parents didn't, didn't matter how much I complained. It didn't matter how much I begged. I did not miss one practice that entire summer. And at the end of the summer, my coach said to me, we were gearing up to go to the junior Olympics because these club teams go to the junior Olympics. And he said, you, you know, there's, let's say there's 20, 30 kids who were practicing together. 13 got to go to the junior Olympics. And he said, you know, you are not the best. You are not in the top 13, but you showed the dedication and you came to every single practice and you tried a hundred percent. And that's why you're getting to go to the junior Olympics. And the kids were still so mean to me the whole time, but it showed me what happens when you apply yourself and you, um, and you get up more times than the next and you show up more than somebody else opportunities come to you. It's just a fact. And, um, that was what I applied to fundraising every day. My mantra was just like, you just have to get up one more time. You just have to get up one more time than the next person than the other person. And we did it. I raised over a million dollars for our seed round with our lead investor, Unilever Ventures. How, I mean, that's a brilliant story, but I'm I, not to pick at the weakest bit, but I almost feel like I want to know how you dealt with those walks back from the subway. Cause I think a lot mm. of people can relate to, I can relate to that kind of, it's mental and it's an emotional burden and baggage, but it comes out physically and like putting one foot in front of the other feels like such an effort. And you talk about mental strength. So I'm curious about how do you go from that feeling on the way home to waking up with that fresh? No, I know that it's just, I need to get up one more day and I need to keep going. I think putting it in those increments of day at a time makes it somehow way more manageable. I also knew I got to a point where I said, I am going to launch this brand, even if I don't raise any money. You know, I had sold my equity at Estee Lauder, um, which gave me this like tiny little nest egg that I was able to um, hire a product developer. I hired a um, someone on the finance side. Um, and, you know, even if this wasn't at the scale at which I wanted it to be, there was no world in which it wasn't happening. But it was hard. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. It's really hard. Um, I had to dig really deep. And I also, I created a very small circle um, that was my support team. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my friends kind of saying to me, like, well, where, did, where have you gone? Like, you've kind of disappeared. And it was true. I did kind of disappear. I, I had to keep it so close. It was my dad my husband and um, the woman that we had hired as our product developer. Um, Like those were the people I talked to every day and it kind of, I mean, maybe my sister too, but like that was it. It was just a very, very small crew. I, I knew I had to preserve my emotional and mental strength. And so I couldn't be talking about what I was going through to lots of people. I needed it to stay really tight. I needed those people to be people I could, totally trust to say to me you got this just keep going this idea is amazing I couldn't I couldn't go to dinner with someone and then be like "Mm, I don't know like sure um which I did have people say to me a couple times and like I didn't need that I couldn't afford it it's funny isn't it because I think when you're going through I'm I'm working on a big project at the moment And it's one of those things where I have a very set idea about what I want, but there's something that I was like, this is the hill I will die on. But every single person has said, it's a, it's great, but no. And at some point I've had to let go of it, but I was convinced I wasn't going to. So it's that, it's a really funny, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because sometimes that those observations can be useful, but other times you really do need to keep them at arm's length and it's kind of finding yeah. that balance. And don't forget, I had the focus group of my blog. Mm. So I had proven um, the market fit 
already. So I knew that the market fit was there. I knew I I had the experience of working at um, one of the biggest beauty companies in the world to understand why I was the right person to do this. Um, and I think that focus group part is really um, invaluable mm. and not to be overlooked. You know, I had, and this was very small because this was very, very early on in the conversation around, um, you know, products being good for you. Um, and so I don't know, let's say maybe I had like 10,000 followers on Instagram. It was small, but, but enough that I knew that there was real demand um, and marketplace. And I knew that, and I knew the market really, really well. Like I knew the landscape, I don't know, better than anyone. Um, so yes, of course, you know, you want to know that you have market fit. You don't want to die on the sword of something that you aren't sure about. Um, but I had that, but you know, people have their own things that they're going through. they have their own agendas. They have jealousy. They have all, so many things that, um, can dull your light, bring down your energy, affect your mental health. And you have to be really careful about who you let in. It's a, a good point. Well made. Let's talk about your biggest risk. Let's talk about, you said that you've taken many, but you said that moving to New York at 21, not knowing anyone or how to get a job is probably the biggest risk that you look back on and think, wow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I mean, looking back on it, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, New York uh, is not for the faint of heart. Um, and I moved there. I had like an apartment lined up with someone that I knew from high school. It didn't really work out. So I think I had to find a new place to live pretty quickly. Like I was sleeping on a couch. Um, and I thought that I had a bedroom but I only had a couch like it was a mess um and I didn't have a job and I was you know desperately in need of money so I was looking at jobs online like I was really just trying to find anything that I could find and I I ended up getting an internship that was this was at the time where like interns were never paid and I remember being scared to tell my parents that I really wanted to take the internship because it was a Gucci. And I felt like it was in the world that I wanted to be in. It was a step removed from editorial, but uh, I didn't know how to tell them that I was going to take a job that was not paid. Um, I somehow convinced them of it. And I'm sure it was because I was had a, some sort of like waitressing or hostessing job somewhere that I was kind of able to pay the bills from. Um, and it was a hundred percent the right decision because while I was working at Gucci, they got an email from L magazine saying, we're looking for interns. They said, don't you want to be an editorial? And I was like, yes. So then I went and I interned at L again for free five days a week full-time um but I learned so much in at that internship and then um I was able to get 
the the job at Lucky Magazine because I had that experience. But yeah, oh no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting. And I also think that most good stories, particularly city-based stories like that, they start with sofa surfing. They start with kind of like, it really looks bleak. And then all of a sudden, particularly with these jobs. So there's that saying, isn't there? You're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And the thing is, is, is that sounds like sort of quite a flippant comment, but when you are sofa surfing, but then you spend the day in Gucci head office <laughs> or you spend the day with editors at Hearst, like there's a, I do think something does shift. You do learn a lot just by being in that environment and it does take you out of where you perhaps are at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard that before. I love that I'm going to take that (laughs) that away with me um but it it just it was such a big risk that I think that's something you only do when you're really young and you have no idea what you're doing Mm. um I I remember being like wow I I understand why they say if you can make it in New York you can make it anywhere because it'll bring that city will bring you to your knees it's uh people are super intense it's super expensive um, but there is also just that proximity to uh, excellence that is not very many other places. I think I was trying, so I was in LA recently and someone was saying to me when I came back, they said, we honestly thought that you would come back and say that you're going to move there. And I said, oh, God, no way. I really, LA is not for me. And I would say that of the two cities, New York has my heart. And I do think it's the fact that you, it is in In New York, you do feel like you're close to something magical. And in LA, you feel like you should be, but it's kind of harder (laughs) to find. (laughs) You might be, but but it's next to a strip mall. Yeah, or it's it's just um, a facade. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that that part about New York is is so magical. And there is opportunity. The opportunity is endless. Completely. Um, Can you tell, tell me as well, because I know that before beauty before Gucci you worked with a film producer which again another really glamorous quote-unquote glamorous industry and I think were you supposed to read tons and tons of scripts but you just couldn't quite do it that was a very that was short-lived so I I graduated with a degree in math and economics with a double minor in French and psychology and uh, the traditional jobs with the math and economics major are like a consultant, uh, something that just wasn't right for me. I, I've always been really creative and it just so happened that my, a woman that my aunt knew, um, said that they had a position as an assistant at this movie production company. And I got excited about that. I love movies. I love creation and storytelling and building and, um, I I got there and, you know, you, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And there are people who work in entertainment in LA. They love it. It is their life. It is their everything. They are reading scripts when they get home from work and on their lunch break and they're networking with people in the industry to, and I, it was a, it was a, another kind of one of those aha moments I had a um a cubicle mate and it was this really really nice guy and at one point he came over to me and he just said out of the blue he said you know everyone around you is reading scripts and you're reading magazines he's like maybe you should go work at a magazine and I'm not kidding in that moment I was like okay that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go be at a magazine. I love magazines. And it was true. I love, I'm going to say loved because I don't think magazines are what they used to be. I loved magazines. Like I studied them. I read every single word of every single month's um, issue. I um, would catalog pages and rip them out. I had binders where I would store the important pages from each issue so that I could go back and reference them. I would take my binder to CVS to find the beauty products that the editors had given the top, you know, awards to. 
um, I was methodical about it. And um, the, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. I do know because I can imagine that you're remembering scrapbooking. I know. These I'm like exactly literally what I used to do. I'm I'm literally picturing the binder, and I found <laughs> it the other day, and I was like, it was just so funny. But the oh, this is what I was going to say. So because I studied magazines like this when I got to New York, I was in I think it was like Banana Republic, and um, I recognized the editor in chief of Lucky Magazine because I read her editor letter every month. And this is before social media. This was before like kind of, I mean, I knew her from the magazine from that little picture. Mm. Um, and I introduced myself to her and that was how I got my first job in magazines. Wow. Mm-hmm. From rec- oh my gosh. I know. People were like, how did you recognize her? I'm like, she was my, she was a celebrity to me. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I'm I'm exactly on the same page as you. I was at the dentist the other day and I picked up a magazine. I won't name it, but I was bored within 30 seconds. And I was just, I was, it reminded me about how I used to just thumb through yeah. magazines. And it, I would never get bored. I could read a magazine from cover to cover 10 times and still find it fascinating or be like, <gasps> but yeah, it's, the it's writing was changed. amazing. I know it was, it was an art. Mm. Um, I ask people about their excuses and I think actually you framed it in a really brilliant way because you said I think we all have limited beliefs whether we recognize them or not and that for you your biggest limited belief is probably that I don't think I'm meant for greatness at the highest level which I was quite taken Mm -hmm. aback by because it feels as though and it certainly looks as though you operate at a high level very comfortably and seamlessly um, and you said you look at other founders outside of beauty and think, well, that will never be me. But that line of thinking would just hold me back. So I'm constantly working on how I can break that down. Did I share that outside <laughs> of my head? <laughs> What's happening right now? <laughs> but I relate to it completely, completely. And as somebody who's poured over magazines for years and then became a beauty editor, I spent a lot of time, my, many of my years on magazines, going to events with other beauty editors, thinking someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and tell me that I've been, they've got my ticket. They know they can see that I'm not right for this and they're going to, I have to sling my hook. And I was surprised to, but also comforted to learn that maybe someone else felt that way too. Yeah, I actually take walks and um, on those walks, I purposely like go over what I am telling myself in my head and poke holes at what the limiting beliefs are that I'm saying. Um, Because I think we're all telling ourselves limiting beliefs all day long, like constantly, endlessly. Um, You know, I'll have moments where I'm like, you know, I, I, an example, um, I'm never going to be a Jeff Bezos. I tell myself that I would every time I hear his name or, you know, someone at that level, I'm like, well, that's not me. I'm never going to be that. That is so, such a powerful limiting belief. And that's just one example of what, um, I say to myself and what I think we all say to ourselves. And when you take that moment and you're like, why, why do I say that to myself? Why do I say I'm not going to be on the cover of a magazine or I'm not going to be a billionaire or I'm not going to graduate from Harvard or I'm not going to, why do I say that to myself? Because there's no reason why that's not true. I wanted to be a billionaire I could be a billionaire I don't know that I would want to do what it takes to do that but there's no reason why I can't do that um and those are just a couple examples but I I do think that that's something especially as women that we have to be really conscious of and we have to take time to destroy those beliefs every day Because it's not just us that's saying that, it's society that's saying that. 
we've been told these limiting beliefs since the day we were born. Um, and I think they're dangerous. So is it okay? So the Jeff Bezos thing, um, let's just unpick that a little bit because he's, he's kind of a unicorn. That's with the nicest way he's been described, <laughs> but he's kind of a unicorn, isn't he? And I don't know whether anyone would be able to replicate his success. So for you, is it, is you saying it's not right for me to say I can never be Jeff Bezos? Is that saying the idea that I couldn't achieve a similar a symmetrical success? I'm not ruling that out for me. Is that what it's about? Yes, I I think it's about it almost doesn't even matter what that limiting belief is, but when you're telling yourself, I can't achieve X, Y, Z, whatever that is, you're putting limits on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that any of us have limits. Um, I think that limits can be broken. Um, you know, whatever that is, you look at Olympic athletes, you study their journey, you see, how they started like yes maybe they were born with um a body that lends themselves to have more success there but is that what it is or was it the um training that they had the coaches that they found the um unparalleled dedication that they gave to that craft the sacrifices that they were willing to give up i'm going to argue it's the latter do I want to be an Olympic athlete? No, I don't. Um, but I think we have to be really careful about what we say to ourselves um, because whether or not we want those things, it's affecting our brain. It's affecting our decisions. It's affecting our outcomes. It's affecting how we see ourselves. Um, and, and I, and I mean it when I say, I think they're dangerous. I think that, like we, um, we face a lot as women um, of people that don't want us to succeed. And I think we have to be really careful making sure that we are contributing to that. How does that um, show up when you navigate industry events, for example, where you're in the same room with the people who you may have said, I don't think I'm made for, made for the same greatness as them. Are you able to walk into that room and 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 sit in your and be in your own power and appreciate who you are and understand that you're there for a reason and the, and that you are at that level or does imposter syndrome ever show up oh yeah <laughs> i'm a human being um i i struggle with imposter syndrome all the time every day um i think that the way I deal with it is by showing myself otherwise. Um, you know, I'd never been a CEO before I started say, so, um, I have to show myself every day that I'm equipped for this job and that I'm doing a good job at it and that I'm trying my absolute best. And, um, and then I, I get successes as a result from that. And each one of those successes shows me that I am not an imposter and that I am the right person for the job. And um, I think that's, you can look back to, to the example I gave with water polo. Mm. Um, I think you can do that with anything. Yeah. And it could be that a hundred people in the room are telling you that yeah. you are, but if you don't believe it, you're not going to be happy. It's about that because you talked, you've talked a lot about mental strength and how important that is to you. So yours has to be the voice that you believe the most, it sounds like. I mean, I think mental strength is everything. I mean, I think that's like the name of the game. I think it's your superpower. I think it's the secret sauce. I think it's, it's all of it. And we all have days where we're stronger than other days. Um, I think you have to do exercises to get stronger at it, whether that's meditation, whether that's acknowledging yourself. Um, you know, for me, like the thing that works the best is showing myself that I can do something. Um, I find, I've found that 
in my journey at say, I have stepped into my power further and further and I've become much stronger mentally. I mean, when I look back over the last three years, I mean, I launched say three months before COVID. Uh, that that journey of, um, you know, launching during COVID, the stress of experiencing a pandemic for the first time. I had a baby uh, July, 2020. Um, so I had an, a new baby on top of my first baby. As postpartum, um, we then launched at Sephora. Um, we, I f- did two more fundraises during that time. Like, you know, supply chain was a disaster. I mean, the amount of things I had to to persevere through showed me um, my strength, and I know there's a lot more to come there too. If someone's listening to this and they feel as though they would like to tap into more mental strength, or perhaps they're listening to the way that you're describing your own, are there any, what, what, would, be, what would be your guide to them to begin to build their own mental gym, if you like, and build that strength? A nice question. Um, well, some of my favorite things to do are to watch and study athletes. I think athletes have the most incredible ability to tap into their mental strength, Um, whether that's tennis players who have, um, I mean, the amount of focus that tennis players have to do. And you can, there's a show on um, Michael Jordan. Oh my God. It's like a five part series that is all it is is a study of mental strength, whether it was mental strength in getting to where he is, to the way that he practices, to the way that he um, had to manage fame. Um, all of it was, I, I loved that show so much. Um, I'm going to find the name for it. Is that it, The Last Dance, the one on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to watch it again <laughs> this weekend. Um <laughs> I was so inspired by it. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, I'm going to send my team this show. I'm so inspired by this. And he was like, I don't know. Like there's kind of some not good things about him. (laughs) But for me, that wasn't the point. The point was his ability to be stronger mentally than every other athlete was all that it came down to. Um. I'm reading a book right now from the Harvard Business Review. Um, I'm just looking up the title right now. Um, It's called Harvest Business Reviews um, on mental reads on mental toughness. Oh, I will put the link to that in the show notes, listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you about regrets because I thought your perspective on this was really interesting. You said, I try not to think about regrets, but I've had moments of leaning out of power around people who intimidate me. Again, Lainey, I can totally relate. And you said, and again, I just, this, it was like you, I could have written this. It was, you said in the past, I've pandered to people who I wanted to make happy. And I very much regret that. And I've learned a lot of lessons and I don't regret the lessons that I've learned. Oh, where did I write all these things? <laughs> I know exactly what I was talking about there. And that is honestly where I hold the most of my regret in life, whether it's from when I was in sixth grade and I pandered to girls that were mean to me to, um, to professional moments where I leaned out of my power. I leaned out of the truth. I leaned out of conflict um, because I was intimidated by somebody or Mm. I wanted them to like me. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to upset them and I didn't want to not be friends because I wanted to be friends with them. And, you know, that's, it's kind of a lack mentality. It's kind of like, well, I'm saying to myself, 
there aren't more people that I'm going to be friends with. And there aren't people that are going to want to be friends with me because of my honesty and my strength and my talents. And I'm going to make myself less than in hopes that this person is going to um, like me when it's, I mean, it's, it's so counterintuitive when you say it out loud, it's like, well, why would you ever change yourself to have Mm -hmm. that happen? But um, I've definitely done that, you know, I'm sure that I will still do that in the future um, as something that I'm really working on because um, we all want to be liked and have friends. And I think the older I get, the more I have a little bit of a like, well, fuck it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's when things are the best. And I think there also comes a point where you get enough miles on the clock, you get enough years on the clock where you think, actually, if this person doesn't like me and I'm being as authentically myself as I can be, given my imposter syndrome, like I'm just being as real as I can be and they don't like it, then someone else in this room is and I'm going to go find them. <laughs> or I'm going to go and find a different room. <laughs> yeah, and there's 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 enough to go around. There's there's a an abundance versus a lack. Yeah, but it is. But the thing is, is that you it does work sometimes. Changing yourself can work, albeit in the short term, and that's what can be frustrating because it's that thing, isn't it? We only do things again and again if we get a result. But I think when it comes to people pleasing and changing yourself around other people it actually it might there might be the win of winning that person over but the loss is that you lose a bit of yourself and then what you find out later in therapy when you're in your 40s is that you need to piece yourself back together again from having done that for so long 100 percent, and and that you know it's something that i'm probably gonna be working on my whole life is being comfortable with conflict Mm. Um, and that's something that I, I often shy away from, um, and end up regretting. Cause you mentioned that when I asked you about the weakness that you consciously work on, you said, I don't really like confrontations. I like things to be like things to be happy and easy, but clear is kind as Brene Brown says. So I'm working on that. But I think I have really observed recently, I think cause so many conversations happen online. I actually, one of the things I enjoy seeing now is people actively disagreeing, but it not getting personal and it not affecting the dynamic. They still treat each other with respect. They still speak nicely to each other, but they fundamentally come from different perspectives. They try and share their point of view to the other one, and it, but it doesn't change the air in the room. And I think I like seeing that because I like to think that you can disagree with somebody and it doesn't mean that you have to then become mortal enemies. And I think that's what I used to think in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it all probably stems from something that happened in your childhood that led you to believe that. And it's about unlearning that. Mm. Yeah. Um, So that's your weakness. Uh, Clear is kind by uh, the Brene Brown saying, um, why does that resonate with you so much? because I think I'm learning how to do it. I uh, I love Brene Brown so much. I think she's also a great one to study if you're interested in mental strength. Um, she, you know, takes the approach of around vulnerability and that that is, um, that being comfortable with being vulnerable is, the strongest that you will be and in, we've been taught our whole lives that it's the opposite of that um but her research has shown the opposite and that that is um really where our strength comes from so i i love her i think she's a great resource um also for leaders she has some great books around for leaders um Clear is kind. It's as a leader and a CEO, one of my number one priorities is to do everything with kindness and to create an environment that is 
you know, really kind and, you know, pretending that things are okay or not sharing with someone work that they need to do on their output um, or tiptoeing around a situation. It's not kind. You know, we all are instinctual beings and we all know when something is up. We all know when we're underperforming. We all, we know it. Um, but sitting around wondering and guessing and confused, that's the opposite of kind, I think. Mm. Yeah. It's not fair, I think, which uh, kindness and fairness, I think, often go hand in hand, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, we have hurtled towards the end of our time together, but um, I just... No. <laughs> I just wanted to tap into the final question that I asked you before we spoke, which is about, um, I often ask people, uh, anything that I miss, is there anything that you would love to share with listeners? And you said that you are such a huge believer in the power of positive thinking and you believe in the power of thought and in meditation practice and that those are two really key factors in your success. So a little bit like I asked earlier, if there's anyone who would like to develop their own practice or perhaps would really like to sharpen up their positive thinking skills, are there any tips or any resources you would direct them to? Oh, I'm such a huge believer in positive thinking and visualization um and believing as if that's a huge one of my tools in my toolbox um you know I, i'm just going to say it i i think that oh do i need to start that over no you're fine um let me just i think that this is not on do not disturb there we go Um, so there was a period of time where I listened to the secret on audiobook on repeat. And I know that the secret has like a woo woo, like silly kind of, uh, reputation, but the, the fundamentals of what, um, the author is, is talking about and the resources that she shares are so many incredible teachers and leaders that she interviews in that book um, are really strong. And, you know, the, the chapter on just believing as if, you know, when you're putting out the energy into the world of, is this going to happen? I'm so scared this isn't going to happen. I'm convinced this isn't going to happen. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com That vibration is really strong and affects your decisions, your behaviors. It the way people see you and interact with you. Whereas if you believe that something has already happened in every cell of your body, same thing, you're going to act, talk, speak, interact totally different. And that is going to lead you, um, I believe to where you want to go. And um, I think that things can happen like that when you are in that mental space. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite resources, but I really believe in listening to it on audiobook and walking and experiencing it and thinking with all your senses um, and feeling it in your body. 
I love that advice. That's such a good tip. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of listeners who'll be giving that a go. Lainey, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for making the time. And I don't know if listeners heard, there was some really lovely bird song earlier because you're outside <laughs> in a very lovely location, but it was really nice. The birds are singing today and there's some there's some leaves rustling, which is really nice too. Yeah, and I we're a rare alfresco podcast. I haven't done many... <laughs> <laughs> maybe a, there should be a summer series it's all done outside like a, an Oprah situation I'll work I love on that it. for 2024 <laughs> well I'll we'll visualize some oak trees I'm just gonna imagine as if as if it's already happening next year I'll be and you'll be on my uh I'll my be speed dial yeah you'll be my first guest yes. deal <laughs> I would love I would love that um, well thank you so much pleasure and ever everyone listening i will put all the links to laney to say to everything that we discussed in the show notes but it's been such a pleasure to chat to you thank you for joining me this was the best thank you thank you so much for listening to that episode of the ever gun show i do hope you enjoyed it i appreciate your time hugely if you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.